Welcome to Paranormal Almanac. With your host, Kurt Sandvig. That's right, I'm your host, Kurt Sandvig. And welcome to another all-new live bonus quarantine edition of Paranormal Almanac. Now, on this episode... Fingers crossed, we'll have with us J.W. Ocker, author of Cursed Objects, Strange But True Stories of the World's Most Infamous Items. Now I say, hopefully, because he's not here yet. In the meantime, let's do some shout-outs. That's right, we have shout-outs going out to Dustin, Matthew, Alicia, Derek, Becca, Josh, Alexis, Jen, Elizabeth, Voidtech, Steve, Sherry, Art Muffin, Trudy, Tim, Kenneth, Paul, Ricardo, Damien and Daniel, Ian, Eric, Brandon, Jen, Alex, Alexandra, Simon, Eek, George, Connie, Seth, Christine, Jason, Hayden, Cindy, Kim, Adam, Ashley, Fran, what's that? Loki, or Ian, Carrie, Ezra, Robin, Will, Jill, Jim, Kelly, Lauren and Phil Mangano, Russell, Tanya, Donald, Chris, Brandon, April, Seth, Isabel, Audra, Dorian, Dorian, Cindy, Bob, Sean Bishop, Cole, Ah Monsters, Paula, Alicia, Jerry, Leo, Austin, Lindsay, Han, Jennifer, Megan, Aaron, Amy, Jeff T, Harley, Suzanne, Joe, Lawrence, Lauren McCune, Lily, Veronica, Nick, Autumn, J Mark, Carolyn, Martin, Darth Pikachu, Jade, Nanashi, Megan, Heidi, Kira, Pablo, Chuck, Laura, Rutho, Todd, Jamie, and Elijah Hendrickson, Juliana, Dan, Laura, and GamerFan. Special shout out to Joe Teague. Thank you to all the patrons. Head on over to patreon.com slash paranormalalmanac for all your patron needs. Speaking of the patrons, you guys are actually going to get a bonus companion episode to this very episode. That's right. I'm going to be talking to author J.W. Ocker about cursed objects. Then I'm going to do a cursed objects episode just for you guys. And you might be thinking, well, you've already done a Cursed Objects episode. That is true. But this one is an all-new Cursed Objects episode. Okay. Now let's get right into a jam-packed paranormal news. That's right. There is a ton of paranormal news. I, I don't do paranormal news for like one week or two weeks, maybe tops. And it just I just get flooded with paranormal news. I love the fact that a ton of people have actually been sending me paranormal news on the Facebook page or the Facebook fan page or sending me stuff, uh, sending me articles. I absolutely love that. Keep that up, man. I thought that, I think that's great. Send me all the paranormal news you guys can find. All righty, first up in paranormal news, BDN readers come forward with their own UFO stories. A recent story we published about, I don't know who he is, I guess, Oh, the Bangor Daily News. That's what BDN stands for. A recent story that the Bangor Daily News published about the rising numbers of UFO sightings in Maine drew a hearty number of reader responses. That's right. People wanted to, to write in with their own personal UFO experiences. Like this one. It went from here to Topsham in a blink of an eye. No kidding, it was fast, wrote Kathleen McKinney in... Some Bowden, Bowdoneham, whatever. Doesn't matter. She's over in Bangor Daily News territory. 
She says, it was so fast I couldn't be more positive. I saw a UFO. Deb Doherty said, I was driving on Route 114 from Gorham to Sabago, Sabago? Sure, Lake Village with my sister-in-law back in the 90s. And as we crested a hill, there was a bright orange thing streaking across the sky. They both saw it. She said, people already think we're nuts. Don't tell anybody. We laughed, but I have always wondered. Uh, let's see, another one. Maine has a high rate of Allen's Coffee Brandy Drinkers. Any connection? Uh, someone said, I believe it by the high numbers of anal, probe, anal probes left on the ground in the parking lot by the pond. Uh, okay, uh, whatever. Kathleen was an 18-year-old. She's now 70, 73. She was an 18-year-old English major at the University of Southern Maine in 1965 in which she saw something she still can't explain. One night in early winter... She woke to an odd noise coming from outside. It was roaring, a roaring with a high-pitched squeak sound. She got up and looked out the Roby Andrews Girls Dormitory window atop the hill in Gorham. Looking down towards Campus Avenue, she saw lights through the swirling flakes. The lights cycled between three points as if they were attached to a dark triangular shape, but she thought, but she still thought it was a snowplow. That is, until they moved. There's no way a truck could move that fast. The light shot down Campus Avenue and out of sight. She moved to another window with the better view and then watched the orbs racing up the hill towards the boys' dormitory. She says, no, no, no drugs were allowed, as I never did them amazingly. The next day, she called the police, but they had no explanation for her. She didn't call them a UFO when talking to the police. She thought they would laugh at her. I've never forgotten, and it's probably why I'm such a sci-fi nut. We cannot be the only beings in this vast universe. We are regular churchgoers, and my faith is very, extremely important to me, as I believe it guides my life, but I also believe I saw a UFO when I was 18. Another reader told a more recent tale. Uh, I can hear the pot jokes now. Happy to help, but I'm just not that one that needs to move the ball forward on Martians. The summer before last, he and his partner were driving west on Route 302 in Wyndham, when the encounter occurred, just above their car, a UFO appeared for more than a second. It was ovalish with a red light that could have been part of a propulsion system as it moved in the opposite direction of the light. I didn't know what the hell it was. Judging by its size, though, he recognized he reckons it was huge or flying very low or both. At the next red light, a dump truck pulled up beside them. I rolled down my windows and asked him if they just saw that. The driver nodded and said he had. Pretty trippy, they say. Now, there's a couple more. Let's see. Christine Morrell and her husband uh, had an experience in 1978 but never told anyone until now. They were 19 and 22-year-old newlyweds at the time. It happened near Ross Corner near the Wells Town Line as they made their way home from a barbecue in Newfield. Alan was driving when all of a sudden a blinding light shone down the back of his car. The next second, it was in front of the car. Then a second later, it was gone. The road and sky were dark again. They never got a good look at where the light was coming from. It was just too bright. At first, they thought it was a friend playing a trick, driving up behind them with a the spotlight. Then we quickly realized there was no sound. Our windows were down, and it was a warm night. Uh, they go on to say that a week later, he was talking to a friend who was also a New York County deputy sheriff. He, he told of a busy night a week before when his office received multiple calls about unexplained lights in the sky over the same neck of the woods. That about does it for that story, but I love it. I love personal UFO stories, personal paranormal stories, as you guys know. So when I see them in a, uh, a news article, you know I'm going to read it. 
Okay, up next in paranormal news. Ask Sam, was it a UFO? Bright lights seen on Vargrave may have been a helicopter. Shortly after midnight on January 19th, I was in the area of Vargrave Street in southwestern, southeastern Winston-Salem. I saw something with a bright light that seemed to hover over my car. Do you know of anything that would have caused this? Then they ask this Sam thing, and it says, Answer, Sam checked with local airports. Mark Davidson, the the airport director at Smith Reynolds Airport, said, The airport department has no answer for that. Ask Sam question. Uh, Stephanie Freeman said, A little before 1220 a.m., I see a helicopter was in the area that was headed to the Wake Forest Baptist Medical Center. It flew over Vargrave Street. It was about 720 feet from the ground near Vargrave level. It could possibly be the lights that you saw. Was it a UFO? Was it a helicopter? Nobody knows. So if they don't know, I sure as shit won't know. So let's move on to the next one. Maine is a UFO hotspot, newly declassified docs say. That's right, Portland, Maine. In August 2014, a man walking his dog looked up at the night sky over the city. That's when he saw the mystery. A group of white lights, brighter than stars, traveling faster than satellites, were skimming the tree-lined horizon just behind his apartment building. He watched as the orbs abruptly changed information, changed formation, not information, changed formation, pivoted 90 degrees, and streaked away. They were gone in five seconds, but his dog continued staring at the sky where the lights vanished for another half a minute. I've never seen anything like this until now. I've been skeptical of UFO sightings. They go on to say that uh, official reports stretch back to at least 1946 in Maine, but uh, they're not even very rare. In the past 40 years, UFO investigators, the federal government, and the Bangor Daily News again recorded nearly 1,000 such reports. There does seem to be a, a spike going on. They say the latest was last month, and the recent data shows sighting on a steady rise Since 2018, the spike is definitely connected to the initial pandemic lockdown. So there you go. People are saying that, well, everybody's trapped inside. No one's going to see a UFO. That's not what the data says. All righty, up next in paranormal news, this one angers me. A lot of people sent it to me, and I thank you guys for sending it to me. The story, though, angers me to no end. There is no reason for this at all. But here it is. Oklahoma may soon have an official Bigfoot hunting season and a $25,000 prize for catching Bigfoot. F.U. Oklahoma. That's right. In January, Oklahoma Representative Justin Humphrey. Look, I highly suggest you guys write to Justin Humphrey. Humphrey. It's Oklahoma Representative Justin Humphrey. Send him a don't fucking shoot Bigfoot shirt. Tell him that hunting something that is so elusive, probably endangered, is a dick move. And no one needs that. Come on, guys. Nobody needs that. But anyhow, this idiot, Oklahoma Representative Justin Humphrey, introduced a new bill to the state legislator in an attempt to open up licenses for Bigfoot hunting season. He says a lot of people don't believe in Bigfoot. But a lot of people do. Oh, okay, then yeah, let's shoot them. That's a reason to shoot something. I've been in the woods all my life, and I've not seen any sign of Bigfoot. I've never heard Bigfoot, but I believe, but I have some people that I know that are good, solid people who I'll guarantee you 100% have said that they have an experience with Bigfoot. So I know there are people out there 
that will not convince that Bigfoot doesn't exist. So, again, screw everything about it. Now, he's saying he's doing it to increase visitors to the state. He says tourism is one of the biggest attractions. I got to do something to get people to come in. And if establishing a Bigfoot hunting season will do it, then let's do it. Screw you. He goes on to say that there is going to be a bunch of people that will buy the Bigfoot hunting license because they want to frame it on the wall. Anything that could be a revenue creator is something we ought to look at and definitely entertain. I hate this dude. I hate him. I hate the story. Screw you, Oklahoma. Don't shoot Bigfoot. You guys know that. If you listen to this ep- if you listen to this podcast, not just this episode, if you listen to this podcast and you don't know not to shoot Bigfoot yet, then what the hell are you doing? What are you listening to? Don't fucking shoot Bigfoot. It's like a motto of this show. All righty, up next. Stomp out government regulations of Bigfoot. That's right, it's connected. This one says, if there's one thing I can't stand, it's government over-regulation of cryptozoological creatures. There are actually several things I can't stand, blah, blah, blah. But this one, especially Bigfoot, is high up on the list. Regular readers of this column know that this person is a citizen of the the city that proudly hosts the annual Western North Carolina Bigfoot Festival during non-plague years. Those same readers may even recall that this person performs as a Bigfoot stand-in a few times, climbing into the suit for both promotional and educational efforts, including the Bigfoot tells fifth graders about trees. I love that. But they said that, uh, yeah, some people want to shoot Bigfoot, and that ain't cool, and I'm with them, I must say. This is Kurt, and I'm with them. I initially figured it was a way to make a donation or a tote bag or instructions on how to donate my car, but it turned out to be a morning edition blurb about an Oklahoma lawmaker introducing a bill to establish a Bigfoot hunting season it would require hunting licenses and comes with a $25,000 reward for Bigfoot's capture. The legislation is aimed at increasing tourism. Stop, full stop. They say, let me be clear. I'm not anti-government. I haven't stormed anything in weeks. I pay my taxes. I get out and vote. But there's some things government has no business sticking its nose in, and Bigfoot is one of them. That's right. He goes on to say that, yes, Our mayor declared Bigfoot the official animal of Marion, North Carolina. That was purely ceremonial. No one, as far as I know, wanted to issue a state license to hunt down Bigfoot. He uh, apparently has already gotten some blowback. I like to hear that. I really want to be clear, blah, blah, blah. Oh, he goes on, that idiot Humphreys goes on to say, I really want to be clear that we're not going to kill Bigfoot. We're going to trap a live Bigfoot. We're not promoting killing Bigfoot. We're promoting hunting Bigfoot. Try to find evidence of Bigfoot. F you. This guy kind of agrees with me. I like I like this article just because it's just a person who took their time to write an entire article about what a dickweed this guy is. All righty, moving away from uh, angering me. This one's actually kind of cool. Scientists claim that the Loch Ness Monster, not a monster, is actually an ancient sea turtle. That's interesting because I've never heard... Ooh, wow, I just hit my knee. I've never heard of the Loch Ness Monster with a big shell or looking like um, Gamera or anything, but that's what this guy is saying. Scotland's most infamous creature may have been solved, as a scientist described it as some kind of undiscovered sea turtle that became trapped in the Loch Ness. Professor Henry Bowers' research suggests that a turtle could have been trapped in the loch when the water levels reduced at the end of the most recent ice age, around 12,000 years ago. He says that... um, He doesn't think it's any type of dinosaur. He thinks all the sightings seem to describe turtle behavior, 
such as breathing air, but living underwater. Now, Bauer is 89 and retired, but had his research published in a respected scientific journal. And it says the publication said creatures in the Loch Ness are yet to be discovered. And there could be evidence down there of a large unknown turtle similar to ones that leave that leave in the oceans today. I think he meant live in the oceans today. The most popular idea is that Loch Ness has some kind of relationship to extinct plesiosaurs, but it's difficult to square with any rarity the sightings, the surface sightings, let alone occasional sightings on land with plesiosaurs. On the other hand, he says, everything described about the Loch Ness monster, not a monster, is known among many species of living as well as thought to be extinct turtles, such as air breathing, but spending very long periods of time deep in the water, ventures onto land, very fast movements in water, the ability to be active and very cold, and relatively long necks. All right, sure, why not? This guy knows more about it than I do. He had a paper, you know, uh, published, but uh, cool. Nessie might be a giant freaking turtle. Still happy, still excited about it. And speaking of Nessie, well, Nessie spotted for the first time this year. That's right. January 27th, 2021, already had a story about Nessie being spotted. The uh, Loch Ness Monster, not a monster, reared its head for the first time this year with three sightings already this month in January. Viewers claimed to have spotted the legendary creature via a live webcam, uh, live webcam stream of the bay claiming to have witnessed unexplained objects in the lock measuring around a dozen feet long. The mythical beast was first spotted on January 11th by American Kaylin Wangle. She noticed a V-shaped wake followed by something black surfacing on the water for a second before disappearing back under. And they have a quick screen grab of it, and um, it's a V-shaped wake with uh, something black surfacing on the water for a second before disappearing under it. Just like she said, that's amazing. After checking back the footage a few times, she felt certain of what she saw and reported it to the official Loch Ness Monster Sightings Register, who later verified her account. The second sighting was recorded by veteran Nessie watcher Ian O'Fadaghagen, sure, um, of Donegal. He saw an unexplained figure lurking in the loch on January 19th and watched for 20 minutes as it disturbed the water. The hospital worker managed to capture a three-minute clip of the sighting and claims there were no other boats present to account for the unusual activity. Just days later, on January 22nd, he recorded yet another sighting. He says, I just went into the webcam at 2.11 p.m. and saw immediately what I could make out was two objects splashing around in the bay about 100 feet apart. He says there were two black objects throwing up a lot of water and from the distance were large looking in the water. Then the one on the right submerged, then came up again. The one on the left did the same thing intermittently. They were visible for up to three minutes, then there was nothing. They could have been a couple of feet out of the water and maybe a dozen feet long. Now this guy is no stranger to Nessie, having spotted the biggest ever sighting in June of last year. There were 13 confirmed sightings of Nessie last year, including one with sonar, and according to a study in 2018, that Nessie is, Nessie is established? I think they mean estimated. Nessie is estimated to bring in around 41 million pounds to the Scottish economy through tourism every year. Hell yeah. So you guys don't need to go to Loch Ness 
to spot Nessie. Get on that cam. And if you do spot Nessie on the cam, you know, make sure you mention Paranormal Almanac somewhere along the way that it's not a monster, however you want to do it. Here's a little companion piece. I'm not going to read the whole thing. It's just the video to that sighting. It says, look who's back. Loch Ness Monster spotted three times in just 11 days. I watched the video. Yeah, there is something there. I don't know what the hell it was, but, uh, you know, I want to believe. And I'm very thankful that there's no hunting license for Nessie. All right, last but not least in paranormal news, another one that I've talked about a number of times that I'm very excited about because I honestly think this thing is still alive, not this thing. These things are still alive. Studies suggest the Tasmanian tiger survived into the 21st century. That's right, the thylacine. Now, they said that it most likely went extinct in the late 1990s or early 2000s, but they could still persist in the remote, the most remote parts of the island. That's very exciting because more than 1,200 records of sightings and physical evidence from 1910 up to 2019 were collected and collated by scientists at the University of Tasmania and used to model where and when the thylacine is likely to have persisted. So they have it all the way up to 2019. But that doesn't mean they're gone. It just means that's the data that they have up till 2019. So there's still a chance, a big chance, that thylacines are still around, that they didn't get driven to extinction by stupid man. They go on to say that in July of 2019, Australian authorities on the island of Tasmania received a report of a footprint spotted by an unnamed individual on a walk up to Sleeping Beauty Mountain in the southeast of the state. They weren't able to take a photo. However, he Googled it, and when he got home, he believes it was the Tasmanian tiger. That same year, a government plant biologist saw what they believed to be a thylacine from 100 feet away in a remote area, good description given, bounded into the bush. In 2018, three cyclists said they witnessed a thylacine crossing the road in front of them. Look, it just keeps happening more and more and more. There's 1,200 alleged thylacine sightings reported between 1910 and 2019 in Tasmania. Here we go. I'm calling it again. I've already called it on this show, but I'm calling it again. Thylacines. Not extinct. Still out there. Still waiting to be discovered by man and not killed. All right, that about does it for paranormal news. Uh, let's see, what else do I need to tell you guys? Merch can be purchased at storeenvy.com. Search Paranormal Almanac. You can go over to storeenvy.com for all your para paranormal almanac needs. I got mugs and stickers and shirts and all kinds of stuff. They're slowly getting back into stock, but um, I don't know why they would have been out of stock, but apparently the pandemic really kind of put it all out of whack with Store Envy, so... But that's where all my stuff is, so I don't I don't have any control over that. I'm just letting you know that that's the uh, that's what's going on. All right, let's take a quick break. We'll be right back with the live interview with author J. W. Ocker. All righty, we are back. Let me jump right in to the live interview I did just the other night, Saturday night. It was live with a bunch of listeners. Tuning in from all over America, probably all over the world, maybe, uh, but with author J.W. Ocker. Now, he is the author of Cursed Objects, Strange But True Stories of the World's Most Infamous Items. So let's do this. 
Let's jump right in to me talking to him in the past. It's going to be a live show, one way or another. It's all live. Let's see. Hey, howdy, hi to everybody that's in the chat already. That's right. I had a uh, cover of Hanson as the intro music tonight. I was surprised that anybody grasped it. Marie, you got plenty of time. The puppies come first. Go ahead and let your puppy out to potty. Don't even worry about it. Hey, howdy, hi to Alicia and Minardo and Julie and obviously Josh, who guessed Hanson way too quickly, and Robin and Alexandra. Hey, where's Veronica? Let you guys know what's been going on with uh, Paranormal Almanac. I've been doing a lot of... Oh, and I've got a gift behind me that I could actually do for you guys real quick, too. Raphael, hey, what's up? Hey, howdy, hi, Sherry. It's all right. I like this. A lot of people in here. Um, Anyhow... I've got a lot of new episodes coming up, a lot of them that are halfway written or all the way written and just need to be recorded. Got a couple more guests coming up as well. So it's going to be very busy for Paranormal Almanac, which is a good thing. For 2021, we're going to be very, very busy. But before I get things really kicking off, I got to show you guys something that's absolutely cool. It is the Aztec Death Whistle. And if you guys don't know what an Aztec Death Whistle, here's what one looks like. It's a skull whistle. Oh, come on, camera. Get to that whistle. It's a skull whistle that they actually found. Like, archaeologists found this and couldn't figure out what the hell they are. So I'm going to give you a quick, try not to blow out the microphone, a quick example of the Aztec death whistle scream. That's about all you guys need, because I'm sure people are listening to this while they're trying to go to bed or driving. But... More importantly than the Aztec death whistle and all of the news coming up, I also have author J.W. Ocker, who is here with us. He actually just popped on, which is fantastic timing. He's wearing a great hat. I love everything about this. I'm going to bring him onto the camera and then kind of give him a quick uh, overview of how this all works. So let me add him to the stream so you guys can see him as well. Hey, howdy, hi to J.W. Ocker. How you doing, sir? Hey, how's it going, Kurt? Thanks for having me on. Of course. I love the hat. That is a good choice of a hat, sir. I love that. <laughs> you as well. You as well. Um, so just so you know, uh, up the top right corner, there's comments. That'll allow you to see everybody who's like commenting or saying hi or asking questions. But I'll also throw the questions up on the screen and read them to you. So if any of the fans that are watching this live, they can ask you questions as well as me asking questions. And they always have better questions than me anyway. But uh, so that way you can kind of get an idea what it is, but it's almost like a live um, radio show, but they get to see you. They get to you know, listen in and have fun and part of, be part of the conversation, which I always think makes for a better conversation. Sounds good. So where are you, where are you uh, coming to us from? I am in New Hampshire, right, right across the Massachusetts line. So I'm assuming you get that winter vortex going on right now. Oh yeah, we got snow. It's cold. It's it's beautiful. It's exactly why I'm up here. Honestly, <laughs> is that right? Oh, that's awesome. I gotta say, I, I was looking up. I, I I went to your blog. We'll get to that in a minute. But I went to your blog and I was checking out everything. And your travels are just the absolute best. Holy crap! It's everything that I want to do, <laughs> but over there where everything is old and cool and way better than California cemeteries. <laughs> no, New England. I'm not a native New Englander, so I, I have I. My bias is a little bit, is, is, you know, there, there's some level, some objectivity to my bias. Uh, New England has the best cemeteries, just the best. I've seen everything from skulls to bats to coffins engraved on them. They go back to the 1600s. There's a million of them. Like you, I go to the grocery store and I pass like four on the way to the grocery store. It's just, they're, they're great. I, I, and then, and even my home, my home world, I, I'm from the DC area. 
doesn't have uh, as great as great of gravestones. It's just a great, great place for that up here. It's the absolute best. Like the photos are fantastic. And like I said, that's the kind of travels that I want to do. Have you been able to do any travels during the pandemic or because you usually do what like the weekly oddity travel or whatnot? Um, have you been able to do that during the pandemic or is it kind of put a stop to that? I've kept them. I kept them very local, uh, and for local for me is a little bit is New England. Basically, I don't drive anything <laughs> on a weekend, but I've I kept them very local, and I've kept them very um, isolated. So you, normally, most of my oddities are pretty isolated. I do do the museums and stuff in in the middle of cities, but a lot of my oddities I visit are in the middle of forests or on the side of roads, very, very uh, socially distanced already. Oh, so it, it 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 didn't put a crimp in my in my world as far as finding oddity it just i just constrained the circle a lot smaller and made sure i'd stay within you know the my new england borders that's great i mean i've look i had tons of plans for 2020 that obviously yeah. everybody did and it just kind of didn't happen so that's good that you're actually continuing on and doing what you're gonna do but all right so the book cursed objects strange but true stories of the world's most infamous items absolutely love it i love oh, this book thank you so much for writing a book and actually doing research and not just, you know, like, because I'm sure, you know, you could go online and type in cursed objects and you'll get like a list, like websites that have a list of 10 cursed objects that I've been able to debunk half of, you know, like sure. some of those. I'm like, just come on, do some, do a little bit of a modicum <laughs> of research. And it seems like you actually did the research and you did it almost. And, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but you seem to have done it almost the same way that I approach things, which is like a skeptical believer, like, you know, prove it to me and I'll believe it, but you gotta, you gotta give me something. I, I don't believe everything. Yeah. So in the book, we have a bibliography of, you know, all my, all of my sources, but it, because of space, they could only put in about 10% of my sources and they put the rest of it on their website. So it was a lot of research and my, my tack was my tack and everything, anything paranormal or weird or super normal or whatever is I, I really want to believe, totally want to believe. I love, I want to believe I don't believe, but I love the people who believe who believe. <laughs> so I'm all sure. I'm all like twisted up and contorted. Um, I, I I just can't personally believe just because of my own experience. But I love that other people do. I love the stories and I love everything about the world, other than that like central kernel of belief that other people seem to have that I can't can't get. And I'm <laughs> mad at myself for not being able to get it. So you're just not a believer at all. You just you want to believe. You're you're the very Duchovny or very X Files. You want to believe, but nothing yet has proven the paranormal to you. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I'm a Siamese twin of like Mulder and Scully. I have like both of their worst worst traits, I guess. <laughs> That's what it is. But it's, it's again, it's very personal. It's very like um, I spent the first three decades of my life believing in all kinds of weird stuff. All you know, I was I was a Christian, so I believed in you know uh, invisible entities and afterlifes of fire and gold streets, and I believed in indwelling of spirits. I believe Christians believe more extravagantly than any other any other group on the planet, yep. you know, any, well, I should say religions, religions believe more extravagantly than any other group on the planet. And I was there, I was all in for 30 years. And at some point I wasn't. And then once you, once you learn that you can believe everything and then suddenly believe nothing, you learn, you kind of, there's this like hard rock wall you hit where you're like, man, everybody's wrong. <laughs> it's kind of <laughs> it's where you end crap. up. It's and all crap. It's all BS. <laughs> yeah, it, it, is, it is. It just tells you that human beings really want to believe. They're, we're all molders, right? Everybody wants to believe something. Whatever yeah. that thing is, it's different for everybody. We all want to believe. Look, uh, hey, I, I just did an episode a couple weeks ago about, the. it's called The Christian Paranormal, and it was the toughest episode I've ever done. I've never gotten so much hate in my life from some guy that just wrote a book trying to, like, 
combine the paranormal and Christianity. And people just like Christians would like email me saying you're going to hell. And I was like, well, that's real Christian. Like, come on, man. Uh, that's, that's, that's the wildest part. Cause Christians should, cause in the Christian worldview, everything's possible. When you have an omnipotent, all present, all anything's possible. Everything could be true. Like yeah. every possible thing could be true with a, a with a entity that powerful. So I, I, and but you're right. Christians have a very, very prescribed view of the the supra normal. Yes, um, it's yes. very prescribed. But oh, they should be able. To, they should be the most like. They should be having the most fun of all of us. Put it that way. Well, I told the guy I was like, you know, hey, you got it right there in your top three. Holy Ghost is in your top three. So come on, man, give me some slack. Like, yeah, I believe in Bigfoot, but fuck it, you believe in a Holy Spirit. Come on, man. <laughs> right, right, right. No, it's true. It's very true. <laughs> all right. So what? Uh, what made you decide to write this book? If you're just, you know, like, I don't believe in anything, what, why did you go, you know what, I'm going to look into cursed objects? Yeah, so my my MO in general is I love all the paranormal stories. So I will write a book on ghosts. I have no problem doing that. Or I'll write a book on Bigfoot. I'll write, I'll write a book on anything weird. If it's weird, it makes me happy. So I'll go chase after it. With cursed objects, it was a little weird because at the time I was shopping around a novel. So not a nonfiction book, a novel about a haunted house. And somehow that put me in contact with the publisher who, you know, they were looking at the book. They were researching my me to make sure, you know, whatever, make sure I was marketable, whatever publishers do. And they <laughs> saw my past was like nonfiction weird stuff. Like this, this guy's trying to sell a novel, but his past is nonfiction weird stuff. Just so happens we have this project just sitting cold that one of the editors wants to do that is nonfiction weird stuff. But we're looking for somebody that's not all in. That doesn't, they were looking for somebody who could be more objective, not like a believer but not also not a skeptic either. They don't want either of those two perspectives. So they just brought me this project. And I was like, ah, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm very, my nonfiction projects are very personal. I, I like the word I to appear in them. They're very, they're much, very much journeys. But um, they convinced me and I was so glad they did because, I mean, I'd learned so much about cursed objects and I turned out I had been visiting them all this time and they were like, the, the idea of a cursed object as a storytelling mechanism was beautiful. And I really, over the course of this project, fell in love with cursed objects. Like before, beforehand, they were just like this thing. They were like a category of the paranormal that I never really touched. But by the end of that book project, I was like, man, I love these things. I'm so happy that cursed objects exist in one form or another. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm the same with you. I love, I've done episodes on cursed objects in the past. I'll do another one coming up. But I love the, the story that becomes such a big, huge part of this inanimate object. Yep. It gets passed <laughs> down and passed down, and it's just supposed to be accepted. And I absolutely love that. Yeah, no, totally. And then, and these are legit. And most of the stuff in the book is legitimate historical artifacts. So I, yeah. I always joke about 80% of these are in museums. So you can go see them yourself if you wanted to. So they have this like, tet, I'm doing air quotes here, but like a legitimate history. And then this paranormal history. And they're both intertwined. They're both important. Um, but these are like, you know, real artifacts. They, they exist. You got to deal with them. They all have bad stories attached to them. Whether that's why that is, you can talk about that and, forever but like they do they just have bad they have very tragic stories attached to them and oh, they're sure. real oh yeah so it's a, it's a it's a cool it's a cool like kind of like uh just whatever intersection of um of beliefs and systems and stuff oh definitely like you can tell a campfire story about a doll that comes to life and tries to kill its owner or is you know up in the windows and that's cool and that's fun and all but when you show you know you show me and here's robert the doll you know, you actually show me it. And I'm like, holy shit, that's the doll that does all that? That's crazy to me. Dude, that's totally it. That's, that's kind of what I built my like uh, my travel writer career on is like folklore and um, stories are fine, but they're very ephemeral. Like 
they're from your lips to my ears. They're ink on a page. It's mostly closed and dark in a book somewhere in a library. But the second you tie that weird, unbelievable story to a rock in a forest or to a spooky house or to an object, then that it just gives the uh, it gives it more of a reality. Even if that reality is not true, sure, it still gives it reality. It still gives it like this is it gives you that ability to imagine it even even more. So I love physical art. Anything I always say that I the stuff I visit or the, or the stories that interest to me fit into a frame of a camera. And then again, cursed objects is exactly that, which I never realized myself until the editor came to me and said, "Do this." But it's it's it. it it's a physical thing that you can wrap everything around and then that's it's exactly what you said you know a doll story is a doll story for a million of them the second you bring that doll out and tell that story whole different world oh yeah like it, when i heard about robert the doll i was like that's cool that's awesome and then when you you know hey if you go and visit him you gotta ask for his permission before you take pictures because all these weird and i'm like all right well that's <laughs> dumb but i kind of want to ask his permission before i take a photo like you, you kind of <laughs> buy into it just a little bit it makes you think twice. Yes, it totally does. And, yeah. I, and I had to I had to deal with that myself with cursed objects where I was like, okay, I don't believe in cursed objects. Pretty confident about that. But what if I'm wrong? Right? That's the that's the question people forget to ask themselves after their belief statement. I believe this. But what if I'm wrong? And yeah. with the cursed object, it's if you're wrong, I mean, th these cursed objects, they didn't just affect their owners. They affect people that visited them. They affect journalists that wrote about them. Um, King Tut is like a roll call of dead journalists oh, God, for yeah. all of his stuff. So I was like, man, if I'm going to do this, um, there is an element of danger, even if it's psychosomatic, or whatever, there's an element of danger where you're, you're, you're asking the cursed object to like pay attention to you. And I had to like, I had to figure that out. I had to figure out, it's one thing again, to be a skeptic and to, to be behind a pulpit and say, blah, blah, blah. It's another thing to actually hold the hope diamond in your hand and say nothing's bad going to happen to me. It's, exactly. it's just, you, you have to think about it. It's yeah. All. Do you really have to? Uh, like, sure, I'm 100% against. But I'm not really 100%. I'm like 99%. And that 1% <laughs> could make me in the ass. So Sherry actually has a great question. It's one of the questions I was just about to ask. So let me just throw it up on the screen. Is a cursed object different than a haunted object? Yes and no. This is a good question. This is a really good question because there's a whole taxonomy behind it. So so a cursed object is something that brings, and I had to define this for the book as well, uh, but a cursed object brings um, harm to more than one person. So it's 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 an inanimate object that brings harm to people and that has no intelligence behind it at all. A haunted object has an intelligence behind it, at least in the stories, has an intelligence behind it and may or may not bring harm to somebody. So I always say, like you said, you brought up those like um, top 10 lists that are all over the place on the internet yeah. when it comes to cursed objects. There's um there's a, mir a mirror at the Myrtle Plantation down in Louisiana, oh, yeah, which I've seen sure. myself, which yeah. I've seen myself, and this, it's always in those cursed objects lists. And its story is just that the mirror, if you look into it, you might see shadow people or you might see handprints, and that's creepy as all get out. That's certainly creepy. Yeah. But nobody gets hurt, and if you don't get hurt, you're not a cursed object. And that harm could be um, physical, it could be financial, it could be a lot of different ways that you get hurt. But you have to get hurt from a cursed object. So that haunted object, that haunted mirror in, in the Myrtle Plantation not cursed. But if you have a haunted object that is hurting lots of people, it's acting like a cursed object at that point. It might as well be cursed. So again, as long as you're defining it as hurts multiple people. And again, oh, there's a <laughs> there's another sliver to this there's another <laughs> sliver to this definition. Because what I just described there, an inanimate object that hurts lots of people is a machine gun, right? That that's an inanimate object that hurts oh, lots of people. Oh, good point. Yes. But so th that sliver that's a difference is it has to hurt them through paranormal means or through means you cannot discern via your senses. Like sure. This, this, this harm has to come through. You can't tell. There's some unexplained so, cause. Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. You can't connect the cause of why the Hope Diamond is hurting everybody that's ever held it. So that's a, that's the thing. So a haunted object is definitely different from a cursed object, but a haunted object can act like a cursed object if it's hurting people. Now, how many things were you going to put in the book about cursed objects only to be like, oh, well, it doesn't meet the definitions of a cursed object? Um, well, if you if you add in haunted objects, there's probably scores. Um, but there are other there are other reasons why I kind of ruled out haunt, uh, cursed objects. Uh, the first one was anything can be cursed. So people, places, you know, like entire entire bodies of water can be cursed. Entire sure. forests can be cursed. You know, people can be cursed. But I didn't want to. The idea though was they had to be objects. Uh, it had to be something in my mind. The the, the creepier thing was. Could I accidentally buy it at a flea market <laughs> or accidentally see it at a museum, right? Yeah. It, so it, we, we, we toned down the definition of cursed thing to cursed object, a literal object. And then after that, they had to have narratives around them. So there's, there's actually, you know, in the book, it's probably about 50 cursed objects. But in real, if you look around the whatever, everywhere, the internet, books, there's thousands. There's like oh, stuff yeah. that's unknown. You go into eBay, the scores, you go into whatever. So I had to find cursed objects with actual stories to tell these were i was writing er narrative essays about them and if there was nothing to tell they're they're not really cursed objects for me so a good example of that i always bring up is um the villa viscaya museum in saint augustine beautiful museum i went down there to go see it uh it has a cursed rug which i was so happy about because i didn't have another there's no cursed rugs in this book <laughs> i was like oh cursed rug i really want that and it was found um in egypt um it was probably pulled from a, a tomb a, a mummy's tomb and it was wrapped around a, a mummified foot and at this museum they have the rug hanging on a wall and they have the mummified foot there then the other thing is there's a cat image on the rug because the entire rug is made out of cat hair so again everything about this object is really cool um but the but the story is if you walk across the rug you die which is a great story perfect for a cursed object and yeah. that's and the, and the story goes that's why they hang it on the wall so you can't walk on it but the truth is, there was that was it. That was the story. That three sentences I just told you, the entire story. <laughs> so there's there's no like roll call of, of actual names. There's no like history of where it went, where it went, where it went. It just had a story attached to it. So I couldn't go in the book because I I, I couldn't. I had, I needed at least eight hundred words to write about an object. Oh sure, yeah. Like when I do episodes about cursed objects, I'm like, well, that's got to be it for cursed objects. And then I find, like you said, ten thousand more. And then I'm mm -hmm. like, all right, well, because what I like to do is I like to try and find some tangible proof throughout the ages. Because there's a lot of things where they're like, oh, this this came back from the 1940s, but the first mention of it is 2005 from <laughs> you know Dale'sHaunted.com, and I'm like, come mm -hmm. on, man. So yeah, I always I know, go to like newspapers true. and try to go find something about it, and it's really difficult to really pinpoint the quote unquote real cursed objects. Yeah, and technically anything can be cursed, right? So I, uh, in the stories, I can curse something and hand it to you, right? Nobody else in the entire world knows about this object, knows about the curse, doesn't know who we are. So this is entire story lost. So in order for me to tell a real story, it had to be documented. It had to have, a you know, tens, at least decades of, of history. A lot of these objects had hundreds of years of history. Like oh, the Hope sure. Diamond I always bring up is the perfect one because it, it, it goes all the way back to the mines in India hundreds of years ago. And then we can trace it through... French royalty and English uh, aristocracy and American business people. And it's, it's got a huge, if it wasn't cursed, it still has a huge long story behind it. And that's really what I needed for cursed objects is some level of fame. It, it didn't, didn't, doesn't mean everybody knows about it, but it means that it has a, a document trail of some sort behind it. 
Oh, exactly. And that's the thing, like like I said, that's that hard part of it that a lot of those websites just don't do. They just hear mm. the story, throw it up, and just assume it's all true. And they always have, like, specific numbers. 99 people died sitting in this chair. Okay, give me one name of somebody that died sitting in this chair. Oh, I don't have specific names. Well, well that's ridiculous. Why would I have that? I'm like, come on, give me something. That's a good one, because there are tons of haunted chairs. I actually included two in the book, which is more than any other object. A type of object, I should say, but there's, you know, there's tons of cursed chairs out there. I never, I never understood, you know, the the point of cursing a chair, but you know, I guess, you know, my grandpa had a favorite chair. I mean, that's all it takes, I suppose. So, yeah, just sitting in it and you're done. Yep, that's it. That's it's mine now. Now it's cursed. Um, so you got a podcast and a blog called Odd Things. Now, what is the most bizarre odd thing? that you've come across yet. Can you, can you narrow it down to at not at least not the top one, but you know, one of the most bizarre things. Sure. Sure. I can, I can give it a go. The problem is I've been doing this so long that my sense of the odd is very contorted. So there, there's times when I bring up something to somebody and say, man, this is really cool, right? This is really weird. And they're like, uh, no. <laughs> and then they'll bring up something to me that I think is the most trampled upon topic on the, on the planet and be like, no, everybody heard about that. Right. And they're like, no, that's really weird still. Even though you've heard about it a million times, it's still the most weird thing on the planet. I'm like, oh, I, I, I my sense of weird is off. Yeah. It's very like oh, sure. customized now. So what I always do when, when I get asked that question is, so I always say the stuff I visit, the oddities I visit, it's oddities of nature, art, culture, and history. So it could be anything. It could be, any, could be a natural wonder. It could be a piece of art. It could be anything. But invariably, the weirdest stuff is always the macabre. Yes. So once it gets there, once you get to that level, the weirdest stuff is always the macabre. You're looking for bodies at that point. And the best bodies on the planet, as far as like macabre, is, is you know, the catacombs of Italy, right? Or even, Oh, yeah. I've been to the, Capu the Capuchin catacombs in Italy, and it's just stacks of bones, people, uh, skeletons in monk robes, child femurs decorating a ceiling. That, I think that objectively is probably the oddest, even though I've seen enough like human remains on display that I'm a little bit jaded, but I'm pretty sure <laughs> that's the oddest thing I've walked into personally and seen with my, with my own eyes. So that's got to be a weird thing for you to, to you know, realize that I'm kind of jaded by human bones. Like, you never would have thought that, you know, growing up, like, I'm going to be jaded in a little while by human bones. <laughs> no, no. And somebody tells me there's a desiccated body part somewhere on display. And I, I just go there. It's like, naturally, of course I'm going to go there. Yeah, it's, it's, everyone's about to sit back and be like, wait, have I crossed the line yet? Like, there's always this line somewhere in front of me that I'm terrified of crossing but i might have crossed it like eight times by now Who knows? hey i'm the same way if someone says like hey that look at that hand it's cursed i'm like well show me this hand i want to see a you know <laughs> they chopped it off it's a real human hand i need to see this sean's got a good question um have you ever been personally affected by a cursed object not necessarily cursed or something bad but just personally affected by it not that I know of. Um, obviously, it's hard to parse. I mean, so many, so much stuff is happening to us on any given day. But the way I measure that is for the book, because again, for me to do a nonfiction book, I need to be a character in the book. I have to like really filter it through myself. The second I said yes, the second I signed that contract and said I'm going to do this book, I I knew and I told the editor I have to buy a cursed object. I yes, have to. I was going to ask that. To. Yes. If I don't buy a cursed object, then I, I might as well just be not writing this book. Sit, give it to somebody else who just writes, you know, whatever in their room and they do the research and that's it. That's good enough. I have to buy one. So I bought one. Um, and the way I did that was eBay. <laughs> it turns out eBay has a wild, yeah, wild, highly lucrative cursed object trade. Any point in time you go there, there's just cursed objects. And some of them are pretty expensive. I mean, I've seen up there with the hundreds of dollars for just the most random trash that says it's cursed. 
so I did that. I, and I, I had rules. I had my rules were I couldn't spend a lot of money on it. That's practical re- rules, but also I didn't want to like kind of de- you know support the snake oil. I didn't want to sure. do that. Oh God, yeah. So it was that it also had to be something I, I'd be okay with hanging around with. I don't want it to be too freaky. Like it couldn't be a doll. Put it that way. It couldn't be a doll. <laughs> it had to be something I'd be okay with sitting at my desk while I'm writing this book, looking at me. I had to be okay with that. Um, and it had to be, and I got found that it was basically a, a small bronze bulldog that somebody told me their their father had bought um, over in uh, China, brought back and caused their family uncountable amounts of harm, financial harm, interpersonal harm, death, and they were finally getting rid of it. And I bought it for 14 bucks. <laughs> That's, a steal. That's a steal <laughs> for that much of a curse. <laughs> yeah. No. And then but what I learned was, so whatever, I bought it. I won the auction. Actually, I have it. I still have it right here. Oh, hell yes. It on the cameras. It's a nice bulldog. It's very heavy, heavyweight. There's no markings on it. That would have been the worst, worst moment if I opened up the package and it said made in Taiwan or had a <laughs> copyright 2020 on it, you know, very all featureless, just some anonymous bulldog. Um, but you know, I, I, I won the bet. I won the uh, bid. She, she or they, or he or sent, immediately sent me a, an email saying, okay, you won, but I, may you get what you asked for. It's very ominous letter I got from, from that person. I got it two days later. I always say she had, they had very high, uh, rankings, <laughs> a lot of stars. And I, I got it in two days. So I, I gave her five stars as well. And, um, on that box, which is whatever, a male priority box, USPS, there was a, pink marker all of it saying stuff like may you get what you asked for you know <laughs> uh, warnings all over the box you know and what i learned what what i what i believe though what happened was and i don't feel ripped off i don't know i i feel like I, I got a good deal um what i believe i bought was not a cursed object more or less um what i think i bought was the experience of buying a cursed object. sure exactly yeah so in our heads right we when we think of cursed objects we think of the movies right we think of somebody delving into chinatown usually right and they're going into a dark dim candlelit um (laughs) antique shop with just piles of stuff everywhere and a shop owner who won't sell you anything everything you pick out they're like no 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 you don't want that sorry but why does it have a sales tag on it (laughs) no 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 so basically the beginning of gremlins is what what we always think about you know so and that's what she that's what they were giving me this is the the modern day digital 21st century equivalent because right now we have buy you know what one click buy right and that's like not fun <laughs> it's just one click buy so they were giving me an experience or giving me all the warnings all everything that i wanted all the ominousness around this cursed object um and then i used it i it was on my desk while i was writing about you know victims of curses i took it on vacation with me i took it to work with me i took it everywhere and it was one of my better years <laughs> honestly so that's i, I might have bought a blessed get. object on accident i don't know but <laughs> it, it didn't really affect me so I'll, as far as i know i've definitely had bad stuff happen to me in my life but i, I can't really trace that to an actual object but oh, that's sure that's part of the insidiousness of, of cursed objects is you know whatever if a series of bad things happen to you what do you blame you're gonna blame your rocking chair you're gonna blame your tv you're gonna blame your collection you're gonna blame your, there's no, you can't blame an inanimate object for a series of bad stuff happening to you that's why they always get you. That's why cursed objects always win in the end. You don't ever suspect them, you know? Damn them. Uh, yeah. I know, like, I know. That Ottoman. Oh, man, I didn't know it was the bad guy this whole time. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, well, I mean, I should ask because I get I get people that want to send me objects, haunted objects and cursed objects all the time. And I don't have, because of the pandemic, I don't have a P.O. box. So for right now, I'm using that as my excuse to not send me a bunch of creepy dolls and shit. <laughs> But like, have did did you experience that when you wrote a book about cursed objects? That cursed objects kind of came out of the woodwork. People contacted you about them or wanted to send you one. 
That's that's a really good point. Nobody's ever brought that up to me before. That has not happened even one time since Whoa. I've written this book. I, and I don't know if they, they read my tone in the book because I didn't try to be super, sept, super yeah. skeptical in the book. In fact, we did a very special editorial pass to make sure I wasn't being smug because I'm always terrified of being too smug about <laughs> everything. So we did very, make sure that wasn't the way. But nobody has sent me a single thing. I mean, I interviewed you know John Zaffis before. And yeah. people send that guy just stuff every single day. The the Newkirks, their their traveling paranormal museum. Yeah, they get sent stuff every day, and nobody has sent me. I would take it. I think until I would take it. I think until it was evident that they were just sending me trash or it was too much stuff. <laughs> but the first few pieces would be exciting. I think. Well, that's the thing. Like I am kind of torn. I'm sad that they that it hasn't happened to you because it's it's opened the floodgates. When I started doing this podcast, people are like, "Well, you know, first they started sending me haunted photos or Bigfoot photos or whatnot." And I, you know, I appreciate all of it. But then they were like, "Hey, I've got this thing I want to send you. It's haunted or it's cursed or you know whatever." And, and like you said, it's got to that point where I'm like, "Do I believe it? Do I don't believe it?" And if I don't believe it, and then they send it to me, and then I've got this really haunted thing. Like I don't need to be wake woke up at like three o'clock in the morning because something's skittering across the ground, other than my dog. You know, like yeah, I don't need that. I'm asking for trouble then. Yeah, yeah, no, it's very true. It's very true. And and you, uh, and there's always that that danger when you when you deal with the fringe topics. You're dealing with fringe people, yes. and sometimes those fringe people are beautiful and great, and some people have actual problems that that, that need resolution. So you you put yourself in the position of not just curator of scary stuff, but sometimes it, it's a connection you may not might not want to have with the, with the person. Yeah, I mean, like. I love, thankfully, I've got the best fans in the world, but, you know, knock on wood, there's always going to be one or two where I'm just like, uh-oh, I've opened myself mm -hmm. up to something I don't need. Mm -hmm. Now, when you, were, when you were doing the book, now, oh, thank you, Stitch. When you're doing the book, um, were you, did you find something that you didn't think was a publicly known cursed object? Like that one for your book where you're like, oh, I'm going to be like the first guy to really blow this cursed object out of the water tell people about it yeah i think my favorite was it's, it's something called little manny with his father's horns and it's a little stone statue and oh, yes, i didn't yes, come yes. I, I never came across it ever in my entire researches but fortunately one of my friends sent who's a who's a um uh, a teacher and professor sent me knew i was working on this project and he sent me these um <laughs> he sent me like um it wasn't articles it was like the bibliography of other articles he said, I, I, th this thing came up. Here's the original. He sent me sources. That's what he sent me. Original source. And I found the source. I found the object. And there was nothing written. I got the original article that the person wrote about it. Um, it was big. And it was, it was, it was in the UK. It's a UK. Because um, yeah. the entire book is worldwide. And this was a UK one. And there was a moment in time when it was famous in the UK. Uh, because, like, The Guardian was writing about it for one week or something like that. But over here, we'd never heard of it. And I think that's probably my most obscure was Little Manny with the Devil's Horns. Because I was like, man, this is exactly what I'm looking for. It's a small statue. It was famous enough to, like, at least achieve some press. And it still exists in a museum today. Like, if, if you, you have to ask for it. But it still exists in a museum sure. today. And it has a real story. It, it was causing problems for, like, the people, the staff, the museum, and the people that found it. They found it buried under a house in the UK somewhere along with like chicken bones and candles and stuff. So it, it was, it was like a legit story. That was like, man, this is way better than the Myrtle mirror. Why isn't the top 10, whatever Buzzfeed cursed yes. objects yeah, yeah. mentioning this one? See, that's the thing. That's the, that's what I like. Like I said at the beginning, that's what I like about your book is it's not the Buzzfeed top 10 same <laughs> objects. I know for a fact, I'm going to hear about the hope diamond and mm -hmm. James Dean's car, you know, like I can pretty much probably name Robert the doll or Annabelle. Like I can name off the ones that are going to be on the list, yeah. but, but the ones where I'm like, I didn't know about that one. That's what I like was when I, when I find out something new, because 
I, I spend too much time on this kind of stuff that it's it's refreshing <laughs> when I find something new. Yeah, and I think the, what I was surprised about with cursed objects was there isn't a ton of t- so the the analogy I always use is if if I was asked to write a haunted house book, which I would do in a second, a nonfiction haunted house book, I would need eight volumes to write about all the most famous haunted houses, oh, not even definitely. counting obscure ones. Like oh, yeah. you, you throw the obscure ones in there, you're writing you're writing an ex- the Encyclopedia Britannica of haunted houses. Yeah. Which, you know, but haunted, cursed objects, I had to really dig down to the bedrock to find 50. There's not that many fame. There's tons of cursed objects. Again, small, nobody, nobody knows about, but there's not, there's not 50 that had actual stories behind them and histories and stuff. And I had to really dig for that. And that really surprised me because cursed objects, it's, it's, it's a whatever worldwide, everybody knows the phenomenon of cursed objects oh, sure. and they're used in every single horror movie, but like legit ones that have giant histories, very few, very few of them. In fact, I could not do it. A, a full right now this as of right now i could not do a sequel to cursed objects because they're just still not enough i was going to ask if it. there was a sequel in the works so just not yet huh no there's more nonfiction weird books coming out for oh, sure like but there, there, there can't be a there, I, as far as i believe I, there can't be a cursed object sequel yet um it, it would be very um watery it just wouldn't be that good <laughs> yeah well that's the thing you don't want to i mean you you knocked it out of the park with the first one if until you get the objects to knock it out of the park with the second one mm-hmm. it's good that you're holding off no, thank you. I appreciate that phrasing. Um, oh, no, it's true. It really is. Uh, now, I agree, like, every culture around the world has cursed objects. And not just one. Like, they have a bunch of cursed objects. And it's throughout the years, too. Throughout, you know, you go back in in um, in old texts, they talk about cursed objects. It's always mm-hmm. been there. Mm-hmm. Why do you think, or, I mean, obviously, I don't expect you to know the answer, but what do you think is the the core to why every culture has a cursed object? Yeah, this one's interesting. Like, I wanted to say, and I, and there wasn't the type of book where I could like whatever go philosophical for chapter after chapter after chapter and just kind of figure that out. It wasn't that kind of book, which it, it which is good for the reader, honestly. <laughs> but um, I think there's something. Uh, it's, in the U.S., it's really easy to say we're a materialistic culture. Like, we really value our stuff. Like, we we really value it, and I think that's our danger, right? So you look around my office right now. You look around my house. I'm not a rich guy. But I literally have millions of things, whether it's <laughs> yeah. a toilet brush. Yeah. yeah, whether it's no, but whether it's like a guitar, which you, uh, is nice or a collection. But I had a toilet brush, a dish towel, a towel rack, a shower head. You count the stupid stuff, the boring stuff. You still have a million things. And so material objects are so intertwined with our culture. And throughout history, it hasn't always been that way. Right. And, and other other cultures and stuff. But still, you're still at any point in time, a human being is surrounded by things sure. and we see more things than we see people or animals so that's kind of why we've in, imbued them with this kind of power because they do even if you don't believe in cursed objects you have to believe that inanimate objects things have power over us especially if you're in the u.s you have to agree that capitalism has made objects all powerful in, in, in our lives no you're very right man i've got friends that come over from england and my friends like yeah you got like a tiny two-bedroom little house and you have a packed tiny two bedroom house, the most <laughs> random shit ever, as you can see. And mm-hmm. I'm just like, well, yeah, doesn't everybody, all of my friends do. I go to their house and it's got every Star Wars figure, or every Ghostbusters figure. I'm like, that's just how it is, I suppose, but it's not. I mean, it's very, like you said, it's a very American thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have to, you have to the, the things you have to know for a modern house, even the, the smallest one bedroom house, if that even exists, a one bedroom house, you know, you have to like, 
your heating system, your air conditioner, your plumbing, your uh, this it just the things kind of control you, and you have to like you spend a good percentage of your life just managing things. Like apart from like your loved ones and your work and your hobbies and your loves, you're spending a good part of your life on this planet managing things. So it's, so it, it doesn't make sense. So it makes sense that we kind of again imbue them with some kind of. Um, both good power because we have blessed objects, but also that nefarious power over our lives. Well, that's what. Uh, wait, who was it? Someone just said that that's that's what your book should. Your second book should be is about blessed objects. You know, instead of going the cursed objects route, flip it and go to the blessed objects route because there's equally just as many as of those as there is cursed objects. That's not a bad idea, and those are an interesting topic too. Um, but for some reason, people like tragedy. Oh, <laughs> people they like really when do. bad things happen. Uh, but yeah, no, blessed objects is a fascinating topic for sure. I totally agree with that. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, there's, you know, everybody's got that one thing that you know I don't care how much money you offer me, I'm not getting rid of it. Kind of an object that you imbue value to something that really doesn't have any value. So it is. You're right. It is a very American thing or a very new thing where this one object, which is kind of worthless, but to me it's worth its weight in gold. Like it's, it's a definitely a different um, dynamic to objects than it was back in the day when people really didn't have anything and they didn't really care. I always put it this way. Like I read a lot of um, whatever uh, biographies of, um, you know, 19th century literary figures and they moved around a lot. Edgar Allan Poe, Nathaniel Hawthorne, they oh, moved yes. around a lot. But when they moved, they didn't need U-Haul trucks to move. They just moved into a house. They made sure they had a, a chair and a table, fruit. And they needed like seven things to move to a house where we're like, it's a gigantic tactical exercise to move. Even apartments is, is, is impossible to move. So I, I, I don't know. I And, and again, go, going back to this, I have things in this room with me right now that have been with me longer than anybody else in my life. You know, oh, yeah. they predate my wife, my kids. They predate most of my friends. They, they've just been there since I've been a kid and I've held on to them. So I don't know. Things just have that. And they, they last. They last. Right. Plastic and rock <laughs> <laughs> last longer than flesh and bones. So no, that's really true. How do you say that? Because, you know, Tesla, he had one trunk wherever he went. He took that trunk and that's what he kept all his paperwork and everything mm -hmm. in. It was just a one one stop shop for his objects. Um, so let me ask you this. What do you think is the most verifiable real cursed object and by i don't mean that you think is really cursed but has death you know verifiable deaths attached to it or cursed things attached to it i'm gonna give you a, a very boring answer to that but then i'm gonna try to back it up and i really do believe it's the hope diamond yes um part of this is bias i grew up in the dc area that smithsonian was my hometown museum we went there lots of times i've seen the smithsonian i've seen the hope diamond more times than i've seen any other object in a museum nice. ever i think and and it has a legit, like I said, it has a verifiable history. The mines of India, the royalty of France, went to England, Cartier grabbed it and sold it to the whatever, the, the people over in America. And you can trace it all the way to get, getting donated to Smithsonian for a tax break. You can, you can trace entire life. But the thing about it is that makes it so iconic is a couple of things. One is it's small, right? So it, it travels well. Two is it's a jewel. So the people that own sure. this jewel can't be schlubs like like me. They they have to be very very wealthy people. They have to be royalty. They have to be, you know, American business people. Otherwise, you cannot own this thing. And the thing about the ultra rich, <clears throat> excuse me, the thing about the ultra rich is they've got a lot of bad stuff going on in their life. They just do. They, they they're, they're they're usually with generational wealth. The the kids that get that wealth, they they mess up a lot. They're not the, they're True. not the best human beings. They're like very spoiled. They're you know they gamble away money, 
So usually the problems of the rich, which are super fascinating to people like us, right? Or at least me. I don't want to speak for, speak for anybody else, but people like me. Um, there, there's not a single bazillionaire that doesn't have tons of tragedy around him and if they live long enough ha- around them and their family. So it's really easy to say, oh, that bobble that you wear in your tiara or that you or that you put on your pet's collar, which is what Evelyn Walsh did with the Hope Diamond. Very true, she, yeah. She even like uh, donate, tried to, she even pawned it, pawned it um, in a way to, to, um, to fund the search for the Lindbergh baby. So, the, you know, when she she messed around with this bobble that could change most people's life. Most people that grabbed this thing could change their entire life. But again, she had children die. Her and her husband split up. They both ended up in, in asylums. Um, but again, the pressures of the ultra rich trying to continue to be ultra rich, they're going to have massive tragedies. And True. being able to like tie that to a little gym is, I don't know, it's, it's it's almost it's almost metaphorical, right? The, what's the Bible say? The root of the root of all evil is money. The love of money is the root of all root evil. Of all evil, yes, yeah. And that's basically what an ultra wealthy person is: is a love of money, and like that's that's their curse. The money is that the actual curse, but it's represented by that diamond that's now in the Smithsonian. That and that's a legitimate curse to me. Money money hurts people, and like that's that's the hope diamond in the nutshell. So I think that thing is whoever if, if some rich person bought that off the Smithsonian, if they could, if it was possible, I guarantee you they'd have issues but those issues would happen already because they had tons of money oh sure that's why i don't have money that's i'm like i'm not gonna have any money um uh, sherry's got a good question do you know if the hope diamond has brought any bad luck since it's been in the smithsonian have you seen the country i mean definitely <laughs> that that's so the country owns you and i own the smithsonian they're the hope diamond right now it's owned by the country so any bad thing that's ever happened in the country might be ascribable to the Hope Diamond. <laughs> so like it depends that's, on what you believe about the that's past. That's who we can blame. Whatever, Finally. 20 years, 10 years, <laughs> maybe. Wow, I didn't think about that. I like that answer. Uh, <laughs> so Monardo asks, what was the most modern cursed object that you were investigating or threw in the book or just have thought about, you know, like it's brought up for maybe a second book when it happens? Oh, this is my favorite topic too, because one of the other things I, I was – dead sure I wanted to, wanted to do this book is bring it into modern times. So I have an entire section of the book on digital cursed objects. I like that so, you threw the email in there. I love that. Yeah, yeah. So the thing is, so it's really easy for us to imagine a cursed object being made of wood and stone and rope and being antique. Um, but the thing is, you know, modern day, whatever, plastic, metal, that's also easy to think of as cursed because they're physical. You hold them in your hands, right? So I have some some clocks in the book that are cursed that's technology like you said james dean car yeah it's a piece of technology so it's easy it's it's not too hard to go from an antique cabinet to james dean's car and say okay both are cursed that makes sense but i try to take a step further in the book and say guess what the digital world might be full of cursed objects because again if a cursed object can be made of wood why can't it be made of code like code is a thing i mean we live we live in the cursed we live in a digital world my my kids pay money for digital objects. We pay for video games. We pay for our phone number. We pay for internet access. These are all things. These are all, even though they're kind of the other of the digital, they're things. If they're, if they're objects, then they can be cursed. And we've seen that with, like you said, chain emails. Chain emails are a cursed object. You've seen that with um, the, <laughs> the red pop-up of the red window, which I wasn't allowed to put in the book because it was tied to like true crime and very vicious. But that's another thing, a pop-up window that could be cursed. It just pops up on your screen. Like right now, all of us right now could be in danger. That's the other part, right? So all of us could say, I'm, I'm, I am protected from cursed objects because I don't have antiques. Because I haven't been to the flea market. Because sure. I'm not rich and I don't have diamonds around me. But guess what? Just being on the internet means you could intersect with a cursed object. And we kind of had this in the literal digital world with viruses, right? You can download a virus oh, in two sure. seconds. 
But really, again, it's, it could be a cursed object. It could be that we have a cursed phone number in there, a cursed video game, cursed, like you said, cursed emails, cursed tweets, and cursed Facebook posts. We see those all the time. Cursed photos, right? Oh, sure. What's the difference, what's the difference between a cursed photo in your hand and a cursed photo in, in bits and bytes on your screen? Sure. Nothing, really. Yeah, it's just so, a new modern version of a cursed painting. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So if, if the crying child on your wall can curse you, why can't a crying child wallpaper on your desktop curse you? So that's the most modern stuff is the digital stuff. And it, it is, it, again, if if you're going to believe in cursed objects, you have to believe that digital objects can be cursed. Well, it's kind of like uh, there's someone, I forget who it was, that did an episode a while ago about um, urban legends and that you give enough credence to an urban legend, it kind of makes the urban legend real. I think the same thing is kind of true with cursed objects. Enough people have something bad happen to them after they get a chain email that it gives those chain emails that cursed legend or that cursed, you know, value. Yeah. Do you want me to bring up nocebos here? Sure. I know you looked at the book. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so what I, so I, what you just said is exactly right. So what I learned in the cursed objects book. So I started out the book as a skeptic, right? But by the end of the book, I had to say, I think I believe in cursed objects. You know, I, I believe cursed objects can affect people uh, in, in, in ways that are untraceable. That's again, the, again, I could throw a rock at a person's head and hurt them. Sure. But that's a pretty obvious chain of events of what hurts you. But that rock that sits on your shelf and hurts you is a little bit different. So what I learned was uh, this concept of nocebos. Now, we all know placebos, which is a, a very mysterious concept. It's scientific. It's been verified, validated, yeah. but still mysterious to us, where you can, where a doctor can give you a sugar pill and say it's, it's medicine that will cure your headache, and your headache can go away. The body needs very small provocations to heal itself. It can trick itself into healing itself. Even weirder than that, um, a doctor can come to you and say, this is a sugar pill. It has no actual medicinal effect, but I think it will cure your headache. And it can cure your, your headache can go away just for that provocation. So placebos are wild. They don't make any sense. If they weren't scientifically validated, we, we call them hokum and paranormal. We'd call them other, but they're not, they're viable scientific concepts. True. And they came out in the 1950s. I think the 1950s is when we first actually called them placebos. They've been around for hundreds of years, but we called them placebos in the 1950s. And then right after we gave them a name and they were in all the literature, about, I don't know, maybe 10 years later, somebody came up with the idea of a nocebo. And what their idea was, man, if, if, Something can cause you to heal yourself through no real mechanism other than the, the body deciding to or tricking itself to. Does that mean it can also hurt itself with no with no real actual with no actual like mechanism? And the the truth is we don't know, but it's possible. I mean, the, the, yeah. the idea of zombieism that came from the islands. Um, the idea there was people believe so much that a spell had been cast on them to to make them the walking dead that they acted like the walking dead. They're they're their need for food kind of went away. They were very lethargic. They they were very susceptible to other people's wills and commands. And again, they weren't actually the dead called back to life, but because they thought they were, they acted accordingly. So the idea is, if I give you my bulldog and say, hey, Kurt, dude, this, this thing is going to give you migraines and hallucinations, there's a possibility you'll have migraines and hallucinations just because your mind believed it just enough oh, sure. to do that. And that's, 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 again, that's the mysteries of the mind. It's not paranormal at all. That's 100% physical mysteries of the mind. But that's enough evidence. That, that means cursed objects can happen. That, that means if Evelyn Walsh thought the Hope Diamond was cursed, a lot of her tragedies might be able to be traced to the Hope Diamond. That is true. Like, essentially, yes, now it is cursed because of that. Because, again, yeah. they put that power into the object. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's, that's bizarre. I kind of love that. I um, do, too. Scary, though. <laughs> <laughs> Very.
So what's harder for you to write? Is it these real topics or is it fiction or do they, are they both such a different beast that it, you can't compare? Um, I, I can compare them for you. Um, fiction is harder to write. So fiction is creating something out of nothing. Um, whereas non, and again, another writer will tell you a different answer and they're right too. Um, this, this isn't like the, the final word on it, but for me, nonfiction, and because the, the voice I've developed or landed on or stumbled over, um, nonfiction is literally me telling you about something. So a lot of times people will tell me that they read a chapter I've read and they talk to me in real life and like, Oh, you write exactly like you talk, which I don't know if it's a compliment or not, Yes, but, but that, that, so I literally would just sit down and like, man, this is, I'll, I'll talk to you. I'll use, uh, so it sounds, it, it sounds, a lot of people say it sounds like pulling up to a bar with me, basically is what they say. Yes. And I, I just, that voice is easy for me. It's the research is hard, but like just writing about it, telling people a story that's, that I, I don't have to make up that I just, I'm just, I just found and just, I'm just putting into a, a good order in a way that makes people more compelled. That's a lot easier for me than sitting down saying, I have to create an entire bunch of humans that don't exist, an entire situation that doesn't exist and make it make sense. And that's, that's really, so fiction's way harder for me than nonfiction. Oh, sure. And less rewarding too. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> as far as like nonfiction, I, I'm, when I do nonfiction books, I meet new people. They're my, they become my friends. You're a god. I have, I, I have adventures, you know, I have like, I go see stuff. And so every book is, I always say all my nonfiction books, they're all cherries on top of a Sunday. Um, if I didn't have a book, if I did cursed objects and never wrote it in a book, it would still have made my life better. I met cool people. I learned new things. I saw new things. Um, the book is just like gravy on top of that. But uh, the fiction, the novel, if I don't have a novel at the end of all my time, it's a waste of time. <laughs> See, that's, uh, well, that's why I was, that's why I asked that question. Cause I was wondering if being kind of pigeonholed to telling the facts and talking about a real thing kind of changed the way, changed your voice. But apparently you just continued on with a conversational voice and it worked for you. Oh, you broke up a little bit for me at the end. Oh, oh um, that's all right. Are you hearing okay. me okay? Are you, are you, am I back? There you are. I all see right. this. I see it. We're good. Yet. All right. Ba it doesn't matter. Basically what I was saying is you did good on both. And I'm glad that you have that conversational voice because that's exactly how I do this podcast. I approach it like a conversation where anybody can mm. just listen in and be like, wait, what the hell is he talking about? Oh shit. That's crazy. That's cool. And then, <laughs> you know, fade out. And I mean, some people don't like it because there's swearing and because it's not just me telling the facts. I always want to talk about how it affects me. Every episode is I'll tell you about something, but then I'll tell you about, do I believe it? Do I buy it? Is it real? Is it not real? Here's what I found that probably can debunk it. And you know, some people like that kind of thing, but other people find it, you know, uh, you know, offensive that I'm not just telling the lines. Yeah, that's super true. That, that there's people that hate my books <laughs> because <laughs> of exactly that. You know, the, the way I talk doesn't sound like writing, so they, they, they don't like it. So that, that's, that, that's, which is valid. That's fine too. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, and that's kind of what I say with this podcast. I'm like, Hey, look, it's just, this is me. This is what I'm doing. Either like it or it's not for you. And if it's not for you, I get it because I'm the same way. There's some stuff where, I just disagree with like, there's some books that, that people will send me for their stuff that I just, I can't get behind it. I'm sorry, but it's Ooh. just not everything is real. And I get that I'm talking about paranormal stuff and Bigfoot and Loch Ness monster, but not everything is real. There's stuff that I say, nope, bullshit. I call bullshit on that object. <laughs> so, um, so let's see what is, uh, what are the other topics I have? Um, Oh, this is a this is a question that I wanted to ask kind of for me, but I'll do it for everybody. 
Since you visit odd sites a lot, what are some must-see odd sites that you think people should take the time out to visit or go down that that road that's not the highway just to see these odd objects? Oh, that's interesting. I, that, that's going to be hard for me to do, but I will say that people shouldn't overlook what people should not overlook what's an hour away from their house. Um, what I found, so I've so I've lived in New England for twelve years now. And my passion, my overriding burning passion is finding weird stuff to see on any given weekend. And every single weekend or every single week, I'm learning about a new thing that's within driving distance of me. I, like, again, I consider myself a professional oddity chaser, and I'm still learning things every single day. So I always try to tell people, even before the pandemic, I was like, hey, whatever, getting overseas is fun. Doing cross-country trips is fun. Visiting other states is great. I encourage everybody to do that for all kinds of reasons. But don't overlook driving an hour away from your house. There is some wonders to see. I don't care where you live. Um, I, I always do like I do these talks sometimes when I go to um, libraries or museums or whatever, and I create a road trip itinerary just from where I'm standing for that for that uh, talk, and find eight weird stuff within oh, that's a cool. eight hour drive. And it, it, I've never ever not been able to do it. Now there's some places on the Midwest that <laughs> so I always say within a tick of gas you'll find wonders. There's some places in the Midwest, it's within a tank or two of gas, <laughs> but, but there's, there's so much amazing stuff. And it, it really, even though it's been my, 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 whatever, my motto, all my times chasing oddity, it really punched me in the face during the last year of the pandemic where I was like, oh, oh I can't, I, I can't jump on a plane. I can't cross state lines half the time. I have to just find stuff in New Hampshire. And it turns out I, I didn't even know my own state. <laughs> there's tons of ghost towns and statues and graveyards and stories that I just did not know about, even though I thought I'd kind of wrung the place dry. See, I like that. That's a good way of doing it. I really like the fact that when you're at a location to give people something near that location, because <laughs> you're right, it is really difficult. People ask me, like, where should I be going to look for the best haunted house or the haunted hotel? Because I'll do an episode on just haunted hotels across <laughs> the country or around the world. And I'm like, well, besides the ones that I've already talked about, you know, Kind of do the research yourself. You're local. Find what find the weird stuff. It's everywhere, especially in California. I can go to, you know, I can go to Cielo Drive in the Sharon Tate house in 20 minutes, or I could go down to the Cecil Hotel, or I could go to the Queen Mary. I mean, no matter which way I point, ghost towns out in the desert, there is always something out there for everybody. Yeah, and I, I tell people, like, so it's easy these days. So whatever, when I started this, started doing this stuff, it wasn't as easy. But these days, there's Atlas Obscura, and there's tons of paranormal websites, and there's tons of, like, road trippers. And there's some great stuff in there, great stuff. And definitely put that on your on your itinerary. But in my experience, and again, it might be my jaded or my twisted view of oddity these days, but in my experience, my, my most favorite finds have always come through local media. Keeping my sure. ears peeled or eyes peeled, ears open for like, you know, whatever the local magazine says, whatever your local website says, whatever you're hearing in the local radio station, whatever, that's going to be full of stuff that nobody's ever heard of. Like we all know whatever that, um, whatever the, um, uh, the, what's the, I, I just forgot it, the, the haunted house out in San Jose, the Westchester, oh, um, oh, Winchester house, Winchester house. Right. Yeah. So we all know that's haunted. We all know that haunted story. We all know that one that you don't need to like do research to know that exists, but for every, you know, whatever for every Winchester, there's a thousand other ones. So like go find those because those are not going to be beaten to death. Those are going to be discoveries for you. Um, and they're there. They're, they exist. Even though, again, if you look at top 10 haunted houses, you'll find whatever you'll find Winchester and Lizzie Stanley Borden Hotel and the, the sky, and, yeah, yeah. the sky Ash museum, Sicily hotel, like you said, 
and they're great. They're great sites. Go to them. But like, they're just scratching the surface. Oh, I totally agree. Now, I always ask this. I think I already know the answer from just what you've said earlier and in your book, but I'm going to ask it anyway. I ask everybody, do you have any personal paranormal experiences that you would like to share on the, on the show? <laughs> I don't, but I, That's but I'm okay. sad about that. I'm sad. <laughs> and so when I, when I say I don't uh, this, I always want to context it because I'm a, I'm a guy who doesn't believe in the paranormal, but I'm a guy who's also spent the night in abandoned prisons and abandoned asylums. And I spent the night in gra in the graveyards and I spent the night in all the places and haunted castles in Europe. I've done all those things. And yet for some reason, I don't even have, I don't even have an experience that I can exaggerate and call it one. Sure. Um, and that's actually my book, 12 nights at Rotter house, which is about a haunted house. A lot of that's worked into that. But so I, and, and I, there's a lot of reasons. So you can hear that story of me saying that. And there, you could like, explain that away a lot of ways first one you could say maybe you're missing that extra sense you need maybe maybe whatever the sixth sense is you're 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 the blind equivalent to that you don't have it b which is the one i always say is ghosts hate me <laughs> they just don't <laughs> like me for some reason uh c could be they don't exist or b or it could just be that um i just haven't had it yet maybe i am one day away from being a believer in everything I'm sure. one day away from being a believer in ghosts. I'm one day away from being a believer in Bigfoot. I'm one day away from being a believer in uh, an almighty God again. So I don't know. So I, so I don't ever try to, I don't ever try to like pretend I know the truth. I just know that most of what I've experienced sends me down a, a definite path. No, I, they, Hey, I say it all the time. I'm smart enough to know that I don't know anything. So like, yeah. <laughs> all right. So uh, we're getting close to the hour. So I want to make sure where can people find, find you and support you? No, it's great. So if you go to oddthingsiveseen.com, which I acronym is Otis, but the website is oddthingsiveseen.com, that's my headquarters. So you go there, you can learn about my books, which you can buy anywhere. You can buy them, whatever, Amazon, bookstores, they have most of them. Um, you can go there and learn There's and read about my travels. There's thousands of articles on my travels across the country and world. They're all free. You don't have to like worry about you know, He's not exaggerating. There are thousands. Yeah, yeah. And then um, if you want to go deeper with me, which you don't have to, but if you want to, I also have a Patreon. And that Patreon is um, uh, patreon.com slash jwoker. And for that, there's like a whatever, a random raft of, raft of perks. But that I do a weekly newsletter. It's almost real time. Like what I'm looking at, what I'm researching, what I'm interested in, where, where I've been. There's news items in there. It's, it's, a, it's a publication, really. I, it's not an author newsletter so much. It's a publication is what I tell people. And that's the way you can go deeper with me. But if you don't want to go deeper with me, Go to go to Otis and just read some articles, and then that'll tell you real fast if you're interested in my work or not. Honestly, I, I highly recommend oddthingsiveseen.com. Also, I, I will kind of piggyback on what he said. If you do have one of his books or buy one of his books, if you want to buy the Cursed Objects, Strange but True Stories, help him out and leave a review. That always helps out authors, and I say it every time, but it sounds kind of dumb, but it's true. Just like you know, leaving comments and and. Uh, Reviews for podcasts will help out podcasters. It's re it really helps out authors. You're dead right. Um, that's something that's forgotten about, honestly. And like one review is almost better than a bought book, honestly. It, it just even if it's like not even that great a review, it just tells people that people are reading this book and that maybe you should read it too. So that, that there's I, you're dead right. You, you can't undervalue the review. Yeah, I, I kind of dig this in the in the chat room. People are saying that everyone find 10 places near you, haunted places near you, and post them on the Facebook page and the fan page. Hell yeah. This is like this is how everybody's gonna be finding stuff is by this. I mean, like he said, 
everybody knows about the top ones, but like the Queen Mary for me or whatever. But there has got to be a billion more in my area within an hour's drive or a tank of gas. Like he's saying, it's true. They're out there. You just got to find them. And if everybody does 10, everybody listening does 10 on the Facebook page, that's going to be hundreds of thousands. So it's going to be fantastic. I like that mm -hmm. idea. That's a really good idea. That, I, I would use that as a source, personally. I Some of the best stuff I've ever seen is people just sending me emails and saying, hey, did you hear, have you heard about this? No, <laughs> I'm, I'm on it. So somebody listing this, that would be like, I'd, I'd, I'd scroll through that forever. Oh, yeah, I go down rabbit holes all the time of, of cryptids. People are like, have you heard of this thing? And I'm like, what the hell is that thing? And I start going down these rabbit holes of, holy shit, how have I never heard of these weird-ass South American cryptids that, you know, they've been talked about for generations? I love that kind of stuff. Well, I'm a big fan of cryptids too, yeah. Oh, it's the best. I cannot thank you enough. Before I let you go, I got to tell the quick story on, hold on one sec, on this. So I've got a crystal skull, Yeah. which, you know, crystal skull, cool. I was walking my dog three blocks from where I'm sitting. I was walking my dog and this was sticking out of the ground. So I was like, well, I got to That's just bonus. I got a cool story and I got a crystal skull. So obviously I took it home and cleaned it off and nothing more weird has happened than already happens in the house. But that's the kind of shit that I'm like, who throws a crystal skull out of their car or walking and dropping it? Like, that's just weird. And I love that, odd things that I see. That's awesome. I've never, I've uh, all the crystal skulls I've read about, I've never heard somebody just finding one in the dirt. Only crystal skull I have in here is like, I have a bottle of the nice. crystal skull vodka yes. from, from Ackroyd or whatever. Ackroyd. But Hell yeah. Did you get it that's signed? That's cool though. Uh, no, but I have a couple bottles of wine from him that I, I got signed. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Like, Look, I don't believe in the crystal skulls. I've talked about it before. I haven't found any proof that there's anything to them, but they're bitching, and it's something stupid to have behind me. And with they're all beautiful. Other weird I love them. Yeah. They're beautiful. Yeah, it's just one of those weird things. Well, hey, thank you so much for doing this. This was fantastic. I really, really enjoyed this. Thank you so same, much for being same. on the show. I really uh, appreciate the invitation. Oh, no, this was great. And, and please, uh, if you ever have a new book or anything, you want to come back on the show and talk about it, the door is open. Please feel free to reach out. I'd love to have you back on the show. Yeah, yeah, and we'll swap hat makers. We'll there like you go. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you guys so, so much. Uh, once again, this has been another edition of Paranormal Almanac. JW, thank you again for being on the show. I really do appreciate it, and I will uh, I will reach out to you, and I'll put all your stuff onto our Facebook page. Let everybody know where they can find you. Oh, Sherry's saying, can you please say the website again, sir? Oddthingsiveseen.com. And don't worry, Sherry, I'm going to post it all on the Facebook page, the fan page and the Facebook page. I'll make sure everybody knows it. Uh, I'll put it on the actual podcast when I release this one as well. But uh, thanks again. I really can't thank you enough. Uh, stay safe, stay warm, stay home, all that fun stuff. And yeah, what a fantastic interview. I loved chatting with him. I thought he was a great guy. Lots of fun to uh, talk with. Very informative. He seemed to really like the fact that the listeners could uh, jump into the chat and ask questions right then and were really engaged and really talking about some of their own stuff all about what the topic was about cursed objects and what they thought cursed objects were or haunted locations, which, again, I think is a fantastic idea. Go on over to the Paranormal Almanac fan base page, and you'll already see that people have started adding haunted locations around where they live. And hell, I think it's a great idea. If enough people do this, I can make a whole like compendium or almanac, if you will, of haunted locations 
that are listener requested or listener suggested or listeners uploaded, however you want me to, I'll, I'll figure out how to word it some other time, but I think it's a really, really neat idea. Hopefully, if everybody does it, and if you don't have access to the Facebook page or you don't want to be on Facebook, you can email me yours to uh, paranormalalmanac at gmail.com. Um, just get it to me somehow. I'll keep adding to it. But like I say, hopefully if everybody that's listening does this, we'll have thousands of haunted locations near listeners that we can share with everybody. And no matter where you are in the world, you're never more than a couple of hours away from haunted locations. I think it's cool. And I'm calling dibs on it right now. So no one better make a book of it. This is the Paranormal Almanac Listener's Guide to Haunted Locations. See, I just came up with the name right then. Alrighty, so hopefully you guys do that. Head on over to the Facebook, uh, the fan page, or email me, paranormalalmanacgmail.com. However you want to do it, however you want to get to me, I get it to me. I think it's a neat idea. I love the idea of doing it. I think it's going to be fun. But I want to thank JW again. What a great interview. I want to thank everybody that hopped in, that asked questions. I love the fact that you guys ask questions. Please, if I ever have another, and I will have another live interview episode, jump in, ask the questions, throw it in the chat. I'll throw it up on the screen or I'll just use them in, in you know, questions while I'm asking questions. But I think it really, really adds to the interview. You guys ask the best questions, better than I can do. So please, Feel free, throw in a million questions. I never, I never mind. Like if all of a sudden the chat just starts blowing up with questions, that's a good thing. That's always going to be a good thing. I'm always going to love it. But um, patrons, look out for your episode. Should be coming out very shortly. I, it's already finished. I just have to get it out. Um, everybody else, and if you and if you want to listen to the patron episode, you got to be a patron. Got to jump on over to patreon.com slash paranormal almanac. But for everybody else, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Check out his book. Once again, I know I've said it a million times on this episode, Cursed Objects, Strange But True Stories of the World's Most Infamous Items. Uh, if you want to go to his website, uh, oh, it aired out on me. If you want to go to his website, you can, um, I'll have that up on the Facebook page. I'll put it in the the blurb below. We talked about it a little bit in this episode. Um oddities that I've seen. I believe it. It's called oddities that I've seen.com. Uh, it's really neat. It really is kind of fun. It's kind of cool stuff. It's the, the stuff that I like. So, uh, check him out. I think he's a good guy. Like I said, I had a lot of fun talking to him. So yeah, thought it was great. Anyhow, do you have a cursed object that you want to send me? I'm going to have an address coming up very soon where you can send me all your haunted and your cursed objects and I'll put them in the shelf behind me so that everybody can see the creepy dolls that I'm sure I'm going to get way too many of, or rocks, cursed rocks, um, cursed whatever. If you have one, there'll be an address coming very soon where you guys can send me your cursed or haunted objects. That's right, as long as they don't hurt Stitch. Second one even thinks about hurting Stitch. Fuck it, I'm burning them all. All righty. Once again, I'm your host, Kurt Sandvig, and this has been another edition of Paranormal Almanac.
guys. Maurice, you're fine.